And only if you bring all of these small improvements together, do you reach a level that would have seemed unattainable a few months before and would still remain unattainable if you had only perfected one skill, like, for instance, remembering all of the cases and not 90% of the cases. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law, or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This podcast is brought to you by Feed Ignite. Welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. My name's Camilla and I'm an LPC student and future trainee solicitor. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dimitrios Kyriazis. Dimitrios has an extremely impressive resume, which I will let him tell you more about in a minute. But as a quick overview, it includes practicing law at Freshfields and also teaching law at Oxford University. While studying, Dimitrios graduated top of his class at um, the University of Oxford and also the University of Athens. And he has now started a uh, blog called um, the Law Prof, which I will let him tell you more about, um, but he's come onto the show today to give us a bit more information about the resource that he's created to help law students um, improve their performance at university and also to provide some advice to listeners. So do make sure you stick around for that. And without further ado, welcome to the show, Dimitrios. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast and for the kind invitation. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you. Uh, so in summary... I, I attended the Athens Law School in Greece, where I got my LLB from. Then I went on to Oxford to study for a master's in law, the so-called BCLM Jure, which is Oxford's uh, LLM program. After that, I stayed for a second master's degree, which was a research degree called the MPhil in law, where you, do, you write one-third of a PhD, essentially. And then after that, I also stayed on for the DPhil, which is Oxford's uh, PhD in law. And when my DPhil started, I also started to teach at Oxford University, first as a tutor in law and then as a lecturer in law. And when in 2017 I became a lecturer in law in Oxford, I, also, I was also appointed as the head of the law faculty at the New College of the Humanities, which is another university in London. And uh, I was teaching at both institutions until uh, August this year, and I have re- maintained some affiliations, but mostly in a research uh, function, no longer uh, teaching apart from some guest lectures here and there. So that's the summary of my career. Fantastic. Um, such great experience. Uh, we have, feel really um, honoured to have you on, on the show to get some wisdom from you. Um, so uh, let's sort of go into the law prof, which is um, how we sort of met um, when you introduced us to your um, new blog. So uh, I wondered if you could tell the listeners a bit more about the law prof and, and why you just de- why you decided to start it. Yes, sure. Thank you for the kind words. And um, I think uh, this is a personal kind of experiment. I realized when I was giving my students both in Oxford and at the New College of the Humanities (NCH). I also thought I was also a teaching fellow in the past. I forgot at UCL in London. And I've taught at various others, uh, other institutions like Leiden, 
in the Netherlands or Lund University in, in Sweden uh, giving guest lectures, I realized that many students don't get detailed essay feedback. So what happens is that they get a mark and a bit of feedback, but even if they, if they get and when they get feedback, it's about what went wrong. They never have a real course or a real, let's say, introduction on what is required when someone asks them to write a law essay or to answer a problem question. So it's really um, this very old tradition of telling students to just start swimming immediately and learn from their mistakes on their own. But not every student is equally capable of doing so. So after I gave uh, students in the past few years uh, bits and pieces of advice, they found it very helpful and they kept encouraging me uh, to share this, this advice with more students than I could ever hope to teach, which is how this law prof personal blog was launched. I launched it this May, so about 10 months ago, and it has experienced a lot of growth. It's not for profit. I don't make any money out of it. So it's just to give students advice. So yeah, that's it. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, I, I can definitely sort of um, relate to what you've said about feedback. I remember when I was at university, like you said, it, I didn't really know how to write an essay. So it was just kind of going in there with um, just doing what I thought was right. And then like, yeah, like you said, the feedback was generally quite minimal. So yeah, I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, so I noticed that you graduated top of your class from the University of Athens and the University of Oxford. How did you perform so well at university? Well, the short answer, Camilla, is that I am a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that will satisfy those listening to the podcast. So I have a more serious reply, which is I very swiftly realized that uh, performing well when it comes to exams is an art more than right. a science and that it can be taught, but only if you are practicing this art. Let me give you an example. If you're going to have a boxing match in June, let's say the exam is the boxing match, yeah. many students think that if they do a lot of push-ups or they lift a lot of weights, they will be ready for the boxing match, which is what they do. They do a lot of reading. They practice a lot of inserting knowledge into their brains. And that's necessary, but it's not sufficient because when you go, uh, when, the when the fight day comes, you will not know how to throw a punch or how to avoid a punch, and you will be just a very strong person that loses the fight. So essentially, you need to know what you're preparing for and practice all components at the same time at a very high level, but you don't need to be excellent in any of them, right? You have, just have to be very, very good at many different things. Some of them can be very boring, like how you can write very swiftly in the, in the you know, exams used to be handwritten before COVID in most universities, mm -hmm. and this might return. So you have to practice even that, which is very mundane, but it matters at the end of the day. Also practice how to improve your memory, how to remember more cases, how to express yourself more eloquently, because language matters. And only if you bring all of these small improvements together, do you reach a level that would have seemed unattainable a few months before, and would still remain unattainable if you had only perfected one skill, like, for instance, remembering all of the cases and not 90% of the cases, if you see my point. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. I've never heard anyone break it down like that before. Um, so perhaps if we can kind of drill into that a little bit more, what are your top tips then for writing excellent legal essays, either, you know, whether that be in exam format or in, in an 
uh, you know, an assignment sort of essay? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's what I think many students struggle with. Whether it's a formative essay or a summative assessment or an exam, the principles are the same for writing an excellent legal essay, which is you have to think like the examiner, like the reader, like the course leader, the professor. What do they want to see? Because let's look at their day when they're marking. I know it because I've marked thousands of essays. It's not the best way to spend a Sunday marking an essay, let me be honest. Because you just see dozens of anonymized scripts all regurgitating the same stuff, saying the same things. And it's very difficult for you to make sure that you've done your job properly or that this student has improved from the beginning of the semester, that any student has, has improved. So to write an excellent legal essay, you must convince the examiner that they have done their job properly, which is to show them that you've understood two things. One, what the question is about, and two, that you can answer it concisely and effectively using both primary i.e. case law statutes and secondary i.e. academic literature sources. So at the end of the day, it comes down to these big principles. But let me break it down a bit more. What, what you look for in an excellent essay are a few things. One, it needs to be clear, clarity. Two, it needs to be sophisticated. I not pretend that the essay question asked is, a, is an easy one. The student must understand and show her understanding of the fact that it all, everything in law is kind of nuanced. Mm-hmm. There's no black and white. Law lives and thrives in the gray area of human knowledge. It's arguable, it's reasonable to say something, but it's never right or wrong in the sense that we don't have an experiment that can prove that. No, it's wrong to say that there is no gravity because you can very easily examine the veracity of this statement. So you need clarity in your essay, sophistication. The third element you need is to have an argumentative style, not to be descriptive. You need to have an argument. The fourth element you need is to be eloquent. You don't need to be Ernest Hemingway, but you need to use English properly. Uh, A piece of advice on that, don't use the same word over and over again. Don't say it will be argued, it will be argued. Say it will be asserted, maintained, contended, submitted, etc. Fifth uh, point, you need to know the law. That's the the thing most students know most about because they study a lot, but then they cannot apply their knowledge to the question. And the sixth one, which we can discuss further if you want later on, is no plagiarism. Because this year we have seen a surge in plagiarism cases across the UK of academic misconduct. Why? Because everything is done online. Many students like have 24 hours to answer or many hours. They go online and either deliberately or accidentally, they just lift a text from somewhere and they do not attribute it to the source and then it gets picked up by Turnitin and then the student is in trouble because even though I might know the student and I might want to believe that she did not intend to do so, there's no way of proving that. So please, uh, to all students listening to us, no plagiarism. So those are my top tips. They're definitely good tips. Um, So then... I mean, I suppose we've touched on it a little bit, but would you have any separate advice for law exams? When law exams, many law exams are uh, only about essay questions, like, let's say, public law or, you know, some other more theoretical areas like human rights or EU law in part or 
jurisprudence. But many other courses uh, revolve around problem questions. Yeah. And there, you essentially have this method called ILAC, I-L-A-C, that many students are not familiar with, which is the I stands for issue, L, law, A, application, and C is kind of the conclusion from all of that. So that's a very sophisticated way of saying, of saying something very simple, which is when you look at the problem question, which is this person did this, how would you advise the other person, etc., is you need to identify the issues. So not all facts in the problem question are equally significant. The fact, let's say, that the murderer was wearing a, a yellow hat doesn't matter at all, but it's there. It's there to distract you. Uh, you need to identify the issues that are legally relevant. So that's step one. Step two is to know the law, know how to define murder, etc. Step three is to apply the law to the facts of the case. So, okay, this person shot the other person. The other person is now dead. There is a causal link. There is, you know, uh, the intent. So, yes, the law does apply to the facts given. So, yes, it is murder. This, yes, it is murder is the conclusion. So if students make sure they kind of memorize and practice the very simple ILAC method, they will make sure that when they're answering the problem question, they don't miss out on any key steps that would kind of ruin uh, the validity of the legal uh, syllogism. So that's that's my advice there. Thank you. Um, okay, so are there any common mistakes or pitfalls that law students make that can be avoided? Oh, there are too many. We would need two hours of this podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> let me start with a big one. There are... Uh, Essays are usually overly descriptive. Okay. That's what we see. And that's good, but it's not sufficient, right? Right. Because when you read an essay, let's say the essay question is, should capital punishment be allowed? A very open-ended question, that which we, we can discuss even if we're not lawyers, right? Yeah. You get all these views about the beginning. A descriptive essay would be like, Capital punishment began in Mesopotamia 3,000 years ago. Uh, this was a form of punishing someone for doing this. Today it survives there. There are arguments for and against this, this and that. Conclusion, it's a difficult topic. Bye-bye. But that's not good enough. We know it's difficult. That's why it's in the exam. We want to hear your views. We want you to acknowledge the complexity of the problem, sure. To describe the many elements and the many arguments, sure but we want to hear your particular voice. This student writing this script, where do they stand on this debate? What do they think is the most compelling, convincing argument? And state it at the introduction of their essay. Because as, as I was taught in Oxford, and I, I tell this to all my students and they remember it because it's a great way of saying it. Essays are not mystery novels. You don't want to wait until the end to find out who the murderer is. From the beginning of the essay, you want to have the argument of the student. So the essay should start, in this essay it will be argued that capital punishment should not be allowed for a number of reasons. Perfect, then I know what I'm gonna read and I know it's gonna be an argumentative essay. So that's the number one most common mistake is that uh, essays are not uh, argumentative, they're overly descriptive. Right, I really like that analogy of the the murder novel. Um, <laughs> that was really good. Hopefully that will stick in people's heads. Um, okay, so are there any good habits that you would advise students to get into that will put them in a good position to graduate with a first-class degree? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, there's no silver bullet. There's no solution for everyone. There's no panacea. But um, the the big thing is, not 
to only focus on the courses that you like. You see many students saying, I like public law, but I really don't like tort law. And then they, their performance illustrates that. Uh, being an adult is doing things that you don't like uh, in a way that is and at a level that's acceptable, that is that is good enough. It's a matter of self-discipline. Uh, it might not be the student's problem, to be honest. They might have a terrible course leader. It happens. Mm. Or a course leader that's very boring or that gives no feedback. I understand this. But they're going to have a boss in the future that is like that as well, or a colleague. So this is part of being an adult. They have to study equally for all courses. Because getting a 75 in public law and then getting a 48 in everything else is not going to cut it, is it? No. So the big thing, the big habit is to dissociate a kind of, um, to break the link between what students like and what they study hard for. If they can improve this and then instill some self-discipline, I study every day, five days a week, like a job, but not on the weekends. They have to have fun and rest and not just cram everything 40 hours before an exam, drink five Red Bulls and uh, eat chocolate and then collapse. Oh, then... I feel like you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've been looking at my um, history. <laughs> you know, we've, we've all done it. That's how I know it because I've done it as well. But it's not sustainable. At the end of the day, it's not sustainable. Yeah. So good habits is study for everything and study in a disciplined manner. Treat it like a job if possible. doesn't have to be nine to five. Not everyone works best. In the morning, I am a night owl. I've done a DNA test and it's confirmed I'm, I'm a scientifically certified night owl. Perfect. Studying the afternoon, study during the night, not very long into the night. But, but try to, to maximize your performance based on what your mind and your body requires. And then don't overdo it, just sustain it because at the end of the day, consistency will always beat intensity. So that's, that's my advice. That's really interesting. Um, I... I wonder if you, did you have any sort of tips for um, maybe tricking yourself into liking subjects that you don't actually like? Like, because I've heard some people say that um, they like tell themselves that they enjoy something until they actually start to believe it. Is that something that you did or would you just sort of just get down and knuckle down and do it? The easy thing is to say, you know, just be a very disciplined person, yeah. be a be a Spartan about it and don't care about anything, just do it. But that's not sustainable because life is too short. We need to like what we're doing. Yeah. So there is always a way, and it's not a trick to find something interesting because there is something interested in everything. So if you are waiting in line to get uh, your shot of espresso, that's a bit boring. But there are things in the espresso making process that would interest everyone, but different things. One is, oh, look at this person how they're preparing the coffee or why is the water that hot or why do they have to pump it three times or why is that amount of coffee or whatever. For every person, there would be an aspect of the coffee making process that is potentially interesting, i.e. they want to ask more questions about it. That's it. It's not that they find it fascinating and they cannot sleep if they don't have an answer, but they would ask someone something about it. And this applies to all areas of law as well. So if you don't like, let's say employment law, you can make it interesting by saying, oh, so that's why when my colleague was fired from that part-time job, they had to give them the, um, the notice in writing. Oh, it's a legal requirement. So by connecting the law to reality, to things around you, you make it more interesting. So that's, that's my advice. I think. Oh, that's a great tip. Um, so in terms of time management, do you have any advice for students on how to manage their time? 
You know, it's a brave new world. Uh, and I'm not that old myself, I'm 31, but things have changed a lot. Uh, because now, students from high school onwards and earlier, they, they, they are the victims of everyday distractions from social media, right? Yeah, definitely. So if you were to measure the attention span of a 20-year-old today and a 20-year-old 30 years ago, you would find a great difference, right? Yeah. Because when you have your mobile phone next to you and there is a notification, it might be, you know, it might be important. Maybe your crush is messaging you on Instagram and they want to meet tonight. How can you avoid checking? You know, it's, it's just too important, isn't it? But it's usually just your best friend sending you another cat meme, right? <laughs> so that one happens in real life. But if your mobile phone is next to you all the time, you're gonna, never going to get any serious work done. And yeah. studies have shown that after a period of interruption, even of a few seconds, you need many, many more seconds to get back into what you were reading and to get back into that deep level of understanding that was interrupted by the notification, right? Yeah, definitely. So I don't have any time management tips per se because time is not that important. It's concentration, energy, that's important. If you can concentrate intensely for two hours, that's fine, you don't need anything else. But if you study for eight hours, but every three minutes you're interrupted, then that means nothing. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Um, yeah, social media is a big distraction. Mm. Um, okay, so we're in lockdown at the moment, and um, I've heard that some students have struggled to receive the same level of guidance through online um, lectures and seminars that they would have done um, if they were on campus. So I wondered if you had any advice for students who are struggling in relation to this. That's a very good question and a very topical one. Yeah. Let me say that I, I think you're right. Uh, I have experienced the same. I have received similar emails and uh, many students are voicing concerns. And there is also a mental health epidemic, as you might know now. Yes. Uh, in the student body, because everyone is isolated. They don't really see their fellow students. They might be in their home country even, and not no longer in the UK. And there's a different time zone element. You know, they're at home with their parents or whatever. It's just very, very difficult. But this is a different problem from the, from the one you asked me about, uh, which is, strictly speaking, the academic aspect of it. And yeah. the fact that if you're not in the classroom and you cannot really stay for five minutes and talk to your lecture, and then because the Zoom call just ends and you're alone again, I think students should do two things. One, identify exactly what it is that uh, they would have received if uh, the lectures were happening in person. So what would have changed for them? Would they have been able to ask a question like very secretly so that they won't appear foolish perhaps and now they cannot ask it in front of everyone? What is it exactly? Do they find it very difficult to reach their lectures? Are they not being responsive? So one, identify what the problem is, and whether it's related to distance learning or whether it's a problem that was pre-existing. Now, if it's related to distance learning, uh, strictly speaking, then they need to ask their fellow students whether anyone else is experiencing the same problem or whether it's just them. And in any case, if it's, if it's shared by others, it's more easy to raise. But in any case, they have to email their course leader. If they don't reply, email them again. If they don't reply, go higher up the academic hierarchy. Do not stop pushing to get an answer and to get help. Uh, ask the mental health officer of the university. 
if it's mental health related or ask like the dean of the law school, the head of the law school, go up until they find a solution. They should know that it's hard for everyone. It's hard for the academics as well, stuck at home with their kids or anything else. But that doesn't mean that their needs are not a priority or that they should get any significant reduction in academic quality. Only the one that's necessary due to distance learning, if at all. So my advice would be identify the problem, see what the cause is, is it that it's on Zoom or would it have existed anyway, this problem, and try to find a solution by asking their fellow students for advice and also by then pushing and emailing everyone until they get an answer. That's, that's great advice. And I think that sometimes, I mean, putting myself in the shoes of perhaps a student who might have had like a trivial question or something small to ask, I might have once thought that putting something like that in an email just seems like there's no point and then you might miss out on small bits of guidance. But I think it's really important to just reach out and email um, you know, your lecturer or tutor, regardless of how small you think the issue is, um, if it's something that you need support with. Um, yes, I fully agree. Great. Okay. Well, um, that's the end of my questions. Uh, so th- all I can say is thank you so much, Demetrios, for coming on to the show and, and sharing um, your wisdom um, in relation to you know the topics that we've discussed today. Um, yeah, it's been great. And, and what I'll do for the listeners is leave a link to your blog, The Law Prof, um, in the description box um, of the of the podcast, so anyone who would like to go and check it out can do so. Um, and do you, are you on any other social media platforms, or is it mainly mainly your blog that that we? Can no, it's mainly my blog. But if they subscribe to the newsletter, they will get a, a free PDF guide, which is includes all my advice on how to write legal essays. And perhaps it's very topical these days when you need this this kind of very detailed advice and breakdown of what the introduction should say, what uh, you should avoid doing, etc. So just if they go to thelawprof.com, they can get this guide. And if they want to connect with me personally on LinkedIn, uh, my name is Demetrius Kyriazis, K-Y-R-I-A-Z-I-S, and they can find me there and ask me any questions. I'm happy to help. Fantastic. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you, Camilla. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. We'd like to thank Felix Knight for producing this podcast today.